The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. On that day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat down, and the whole crowd stood along the shore. And he spoke to them at length in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell on the path. The birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky ground, where it had little soil, and sprang up at once, because the soil was not deep. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and it withered for lack of roots. Some seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it. But some seed fell on rich soil and produced fruit, a hundred or sixty or thirty-fold. Whoever's ears ought to hear. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Today we hear the parable of the sower and the seed. And uh, in preparation, I listen to uh, a few different people and kind of hear what they have to say. And, and one insight that I'd like to share with you that I've never really thought about is why does Jesus speak in parables? So most people, and including myself, right, why does Jesus speak in parables? What I've always assumed and what I've always thought is, of course, he's talking to a, a, a crowd that's not as educated So a parable is supposed to help them understand more. But this particular uh, theologian contradicted that and said, actually, it seems as though he's speaking in parables so that people hear and understand less. (laughs) Like, oh, never thought about that before. So he tells this parable about the sower, and they all understand that, but they don't understand what he means, right? They're like, oh yeah, that happens, great. Now now what? And he actually only tells his disciples what it means. And now, of course, all of us hear it, and we've heard the explanation that Jesus gives, so of course we apply that meaning, rightfully so. But he also understood that some people weren't going to understand it. And that was okay to still share. And that's what I feel like most of my homilies are. Right? I sometimes speak a little bit too, I think, high. Sometimes in language or in words that a lot of people don't understand, maybe not in parable. And people don't understand, and I kind of wonder, you know, do I do an effective job? Or, or you know, there's certain parts that are understood, but not everything. And is that okay? I think so. I think so. If Jesus did it and confused people, I can do it too, Right? So one of the things that I loved in seminary was philosophy and theology. Uh, I never thought I would enjoy philosophy, but I actually really loved it. And as I was thinking about today, I thought about different philosophical uh, modes of interpretation of the scripture today. And so I'd like to share some of those words and kind of uh, modes of thinking which you might say, why does this matter? Well, I think it does matter because we need to interact with the world which has these beliefs or thoughts even if they can't express them. And so I'd like to express them in what it is. Today when we hear the story about the sower and the seed as well as the first reading, 
and, and lots of parts of Scripture, right? Scripture is really talking about the work of God in a lot of ways. And we hear today in the first reading that Jesus says that when my word shall not return to me void, but shall do my will, it will achieve its end. And so it seems as though God will do his will and we have no say in the process, right? Similarly for the gospel today, right? Seed is thrown and whatever seed lands wherever it is, well, that's just what's going to happen, right? If it, if it lands within thorns, it's going to be choked out. If it's, it lands on bearing, you know, thin soil, it's, it's going to die. That's just the way it is. And I think that we can sometimes fall into the fatalism category here. Fatalism not meaning fatal like death, but fatalism being fate. That we have a fate that it's all determined and that we have no freedom in this situation. And we can fall into that sometimes. In fact, there are uh, non-Catholic, Protestant beliefs that fit into this type of fatalism thought called double predestination. If you've heard of predestination, often they don't identify it as double predestination, but that's actually what it is, which basically says some people, by fate, by God's will, are determined to heaven, and some are determined to hell. And we have no say. We just have to play out God's will as it is. As Catholics, we don't adhere to fatalism. We don't adhere to double predestination. We actually adhere to predestination, that everyone is predestined to heaven, and some people in their free will, which is within God's will, choose to turn away from God and choose hell, and that is actually in God's will because it's within his justice and within his choice of giving us free will is part of his will, and thus is a possibility within that uh, world. And so there is freedom that we believe within. Now, within this fatalism, I think that there's some uh, areas that the secular world as well falls into in this fatalism that there's no freedom. Now, if you believe that there's no freedom, you can fall into a few different categories. One is nihilism. Nihilism is kind of like it sounds, like nothing, nothing. Nihilism, there's... And nihilism has this that existence, because there's no freedom, because there's no choice, because there's no real guiding principle, it's all just useless and senseless, right? And that's what I feel like people of not faith have to fall into, right? Because you look out into the world and you're just like, all this doesn't make sense. There's chaos. And so a lot of people fall into this nihilistic understanding, and that's where you you get a lot of just, uh, you know, it's, it's not a good place to believe in nihilism, right? You can just imagine the darkness, the uselessness, the senselessness of life if you fall into that nihilism, that there's no freedom, that there's no purpose to it all. One of the other ones that you can fall into is materialism. So if you say, well, maybe there's no meaning to life, but everything is guided by material, and this is where we get kind of the a good, sometimes people focusing too much on the scientific method and saying everything is only material. And everything is determined by that material. Again, saying that there's no freedom. And determinism 
is kind of the, the consequence of materialism, which says that everything is guided and everything's already figured out and that we have no freedom and that if we understood material well enough, that we'd be able to know exactly what's going to happen in five minutes by knowing what happens now and what has happened according to the law of physics and everything else, that we know exactly what's going to happen and it can't change. Well, again, I just want to say that that's not our belief. What's our belief? Well, our belief is that God's will is done. Just as the first reading says. But what we need to always remember is that God's will is done. And part of his will is our free will. Part of his will is our free will. And that will of God is a dynamic will of God. That's not lockstep into fatalism, but is instead is dynamic with our cooperation or lack of cooperation. That our salvation is determined on what we do and determinant on what other people do. And that other people's salvation is determinant on what we do as well. That there's a dynamic nature out there that's a movement of love, of grace, of free will and mercy, and so much more. And we're called to cooperate with that. And so I feel like sometimes we can read the gospel today and say, well, we scatter seed and it just sort of happens and we have nothing to say about it. But I think that we know that that's not true, right? We sometimes want to believe that we don't have anything to do with the scattering of the seed, like either faith's going to take or it's not, you know? It really gets us off the hook if we just are able to say fatalism, like say, well, it doesn't, you know, that person doesn't believe, it's just God's will, it's just the way it is, I can't do anything about it, you can't do anything about it. You know, it really frees us from a, a certain amount of guilt. But that's not true, right? I think about the sower and the seed, and, and one thing I've learned a lot, I've, I've learned a lot about farming since I've been here, and I've learned that there's a lot that you can do to a field to either make it produce or not produce. And I think the same exact thing in our life, right? We can interpret the parable today with Jesus' words and just think in a fatalistic nature. Everything is already determined. It's just going to be what it's going to be. But that's not the way that God works. We can start to take out some of those thistles. We can make more good ground. We can give fertilizer. We can, we can dig it deep. And how do we do that? Well, we do that by the sacraments, right? But we don't just throw the seed and then let it, you know, I, I hope it works. But instead, what we do is we water it. We nurture it. We take care of it. It's one of the important things about baptism, right? We don't baptize somebody and then say, well, I hope you figure it out. No. We, we invest in it. We cooperate with God's grace that's present within the sacrament of baptism and raise them up so that they're ready for First Communion. And then at First Communion, we don't just give them communion and say, well, great, now you've got it all. Hope you figure it out. But no, we realize that we need to continue to encourage, continue to help, that the formation that happens before First Communion isn't everything that needs to be known, but is instead the beginning. And the same thing with confirmation, right? That all that preparation, and, and sometimes we see it as a sacrament of adulthood, which 
I could have a whole other homily on that. Uh, it's not really a sacrament of adulthood, although we often place it on that. But even if it was a sacrament of adulthood and kind of choosing the faith, there still needs to be that encouragement, that cooperation of the entire community and of our life in order to be able to make that fruitful. It just doesn't happen. When a seed falls to the ground, even if it's in fertile ground, needs help by water, by tending, by keeping away the animals that would want to eat it in order to help it to continue to grow. And so what are those ways in our life that we've allowed in our freedom to take away from our faith? Taken away in our free will, we haven't set up the environment always that is a healthy and helpful and fruitful place to be able to grow our seeds of faith. What kind of things can we do with the friends around us, with the families around us, to be able to set up an environment that is ready and fruitful to grow? God, in His will, hasn't determined everything so that word, there's just fate and everything is determined, but is instead, in his will, desires us to wanna, wants, wants us to cooperate with him. What ways are we cooperating with him? What ways are we choosing him? And I would ask you to look at your environment. What things are helpful for your faith life? What things aren't helpful for your, for your faith life but yet you still keep in your life that choke out your faith life. What kind of things can you do today to start to fertilize or to water your faith in a greater way? I've harped on this many times. Sunday Mass should not be the only time that we pray. Every single day we need consistent Set aside time for prayer, or else our faith will die. What kind of ways are we choosing in our faith? It's not all us, but it's not all God in a fatalistic way. But instead, a dynamic cooperation. And so let us allow this Mass to be once again that participation in that dynamic cooperation with God, that God's word is accomplished here in his body and blood, but yet his grace is not fully affected in our hearts until we say a yes. We can block God's grace. Let us cooperate with God's grace, that dynamic nature here. Let us uh, be as excited for this communion, for this grace of God, as we were at our first communion, right? Let us continue to say yes to God uh, at every Mass, at every time of receiving communion, and every day of our life, because that's the only way that we're going to continue to continue to grow. Um, and without that, there are so many things that want to steal our faith away. Jesus knows that, and he... he He wants to continue to cooperate with us to have that happen, to have his will. Lastly, I would just like to say that we look out into the church today and religion and faith as a whole, and it can be easy to tend towards despair. I know at certain times I do myself. But one thing that's amazing is that Jesus says about the fruit today. 
is that many of the seeds fall and they do die. But those seeds that do bear fruit are 30, 60, 100 fold. And that's why I always have hope in the church, right? That even though the church might be getting smaller, and it is getting smaller, it doesn't mean that the church is dead. It means that there is fruit that needs to come to bear. And so let us bear that fruit, and I have no doubt that God's will will be done with our cooperation. The church will continue, and the church will be fruitful if we allow it if we cooperate with God.